for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Last week when we got together, we, we talked about sports. Was it all right if I open up a little bit of sports? Uh, who won the championship? This is the basketball championship. Milwaukee Bucks. See, yes, I see. Yes, Giannis, he did his thing. And so now we're a couple of days in the Olympics, all right, the Olympics. And forgive me, I will have to say, uh, as it relates to the Olympics, I'm Team Ghana. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I have to go back to my roots. So uh, U.S., if we compete against each other, I'm, I'm all Ghana. Uh, the Olympics, it, it's quite quite the occasion. We watched the opening ceremonies and seeing the various countries coming in. Uh, it, it, was, it was just awesome. It, it was amazing. And so, so, for, so for so many athletes, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to represent their country, to compete for gold, and to hear the, their anthem, their national anthem sung, right? Uh, but unfortunately for some, that may, na- may not happen. I, I've been hearing that some have been removed from the games because of like COVID uh, protocols, and so they're unable to compete. Um, and some may not make it to the stage just because they don't make it out of qualifying, right? It's like we tried first heat, you didn't make it, and they're on their way home. Uh, but as it relates to the Olympics, one of the things that was just most, I guess, uh, just unfortunate is Shikari Richardson, right? Anyone that's followed, she was uh, at the U.S. Olympic trials in Oregon. She was the fastest U.S. woman to compete. She won the trials. She was headed to the Olympics. And then news came out that soon after she had tested positive, they had found marijuana in her system. And as such, she was disqualified from the games. And and what I do appreciate about her, she said, look, I I knew what the rules were. I I knew what the law was. And I did it anyways. And I'm accepting the punishment. And then out of that came this enormous from so many people backlash against the rules of the Olympics. How could this be the case? This is a silly law. This is wrong. Well, this morning, as we continue in the book of Deuteronomy, I dare say there are many people today that read the law in Deuteronomy, and they say, this is crazy. How can this be in this book? What, what kind of God do you serve when this is prescribed? And so this morning, I have the daunting task of making sense out of the law in Deuteronomy. You read Deuteronomy, and you read that if a son is rebellious, that a parent can bring them before the elders, and if necessary, they can stone that child. We read in Deuteronomy that a husband, if he so desires, he can bring before the elders of the city his wife and demand that she prove her virginity. And if you read it this week, chapter 25 in the Daily, it was quite interesting that if two men are fighting each other, a woman, her, his wife can jump in and she can do major damage to the other man by grabbing him in a place that you dare not grab. And the Bible says if she does that, you should cut her hand off. 
You read in Deuteronomy so many things. And so what are we to do with this? And so in order for us to begin to understand and unpack what's taking place in Deuteronomy, we have to close the cultural gap and the time gap that exists between us and them. So oftentimes when you enter into someone else's culture, we tend to judge their actions based upon our own culture. But nine times out of ten, the people in that culture have no problem with the law of that day. So as much as we want to fight against, as much as we complain, as much as we are just perplexed by what's written in Deuteronomy, if we were to enter into ancient Israel and hear what they would say, we read it this morning. The, the scripture says that the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. This law that we are troubled with, they would say that, man, we meditate on this day and night. So what is it that they knew that we, or that they knew that we often are just, we're missing the point. So this morning, I just have one verse to just jump us into Deuteronomy. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 45. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 45. And the question is, is the law good? And so in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 45, it's on the screen behind. It says, these are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Almighty and gracious Father, we bow before you this morning, even as we declared earlier that we sing, we raise a hallelujah to you. Father, we praise you, and as such, as we enter into the scriptures this morning, we we desire to understand what is taking place, and I pray, God, that you would help clarify, help answer, and help continue us on this journey of growing in our love for you. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And so we have the law. So the Deuteronomy, it, it is the law. It is what Moses prescribes to the people of Israel. As we approach the law, I think we got to just admit that there is a contemporary view versus an ancient view of the law. Like today, when we hear about laws, rules, and regulations, many see this as a burden. Like who came up with that idea, right? How many of you drive faster than the posted speed limit? Amen. Raise your hand. That's all just (laughs) confession, right? Because, because in theory, we're like, okay, whose idea was to put 55? Well, I guess now it's 70 is the fastest, right? And even that feels slow for me. <laughs> it just feels slow. It's like 70, really? But so, so in, in a contemporary view, we, we tend to see the law as a burden. We, we see the law as very limiting. When we had to uh, submit ourselves to law, we often look at others who don't have to comply, and we're envious and jealous. But when you go into the ancient day, when you go into actually other cultures, the law prescribes how life ought to be. Uh, Especially for Israel, the law was the response to a love relationship that God had established with Israel on Sinai. The law served to show the nature of God. And in order for us to begin to appreciate what's taking place In Deuteronomy, we must begin with the notion that the law was part of the covenant that God made with Israel. God made a promise. 
One of the things about God is when he makes a promise, he fulfills it. And he sets a structure in place to guarantee what he promised. And that promise takes us back to Genesis chapter 12, where God promises three things to Abraham. He says, there are going to be descendants. I promise you, people, you are going to be a father of many nations. God promises to Abraham that there will be the place that I will give to you. There will be land. So I promise you people, and I promise you a place. And the third thing we discover when God makes a promise to Abraham is that I promise my presence will be with you. Those are the three things you must carry with you as you read Deuteronomy. There will be people in a place with God's presence. And as you read Scripture, you begin to see that's always been the plan. Even way back in the garden, what does God tell Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. There, there are going to be people. And Eden was the place where God's presence was. And so there's always this theme throughout the Scripture of a people in God's place with a promise of his presence. And so when we get to Deuteronomy, we now see Moses in the same context, his people in his place promised with his presence. So as we enter into Deuteronomy, please see Moses as a shepherd. Don't necessarily see him as a lawgiver instilling rules to hinder people. He is a shepherd, recognizing that his tenure as shepherd over these people are coming to an end. And as such, he shares his heart on what life ought to be constructed like in the promised land. Because here's the dilemma. There is a people that are about to enter into the promised land, and they're just going to try to figure out what life ought to look like. You go back to Genesis. Ever since the fall, you have Israel, or actually you have the people of God living their lives post-fall. They are free, right? They're free from God. They're expelled from the garden. In their minds, we're free from God, but they have no order. There's no structure to the way they live their lives. And so everyone is just kind of doing everything. And then you get to the time of, of Exodus, and you have now this people that is now Israel, that is now a nation, and their freedom is now stripped from them. And so they're going to spend 400-plus years living orderly but with no freedom. The other word for that is slavery. They become slaves in Egypt. And so you heretics, are we to live our lives free without order? This is what we did prior to Egypt, or are we supposed to live our lives under order but no freedom? And so the answer, how can a people live and flourish with this balance of freedom and order is answered in the context of a covenant. You see, God is going to enter into a covenant with the people of Israel. And there is this understanding that if, if, if God is the source and center of all we do, then we can exist in this balance of freedom and order. Because if all power, all wealth, and all might belong to God, then we have no reason to set ourselves apart from each other. We are all His. We are children of His. And so the law... What we read in Leviticus, what we read in, in Deuteronomy is going to be put in place because of the promise God makes for people in his place with his presence. 
So in Deuteronomy, there's this big chunk that has the law. It's from chapters 12 to chapters 26, and you have a bookend and the, and, and the end end, right? What's the opposite of a bookend? No, it is a bookend. You have the front end and the back end. Yes, you have the, yes, bookend and a, yes, pray for me. You have the beginning <laughs> and you have the, and the section uh, is found, it begins in Deuteronomy 12, verse 1, where it says, these are the statutes and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord your God, that the Lord, the God of your fathers has given you to possess all the days that you live on earth. And then you get a bunch of laws and then you get to 26 verse 16 where it says, this day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. And so basically everything in there is the law that a lot of people take issue with. A lot of people read between 12 and 26 and says, man, that is crazy. How can that be prescribed? But remember, his presence in his place with people. When you frame the law in that context, things begin to say, oh. So my hope is today we have that moment where we all say together, oh. So God promises his presence, the presence that was lost in Eden, the promise of his presence that was signed at that covenant in Sinai. You see, Israel cared deeply about God's presence. If you remember Moses at Sinai says, God, if your presence don't, doesn't go with us, we're not going anywhere. Israel cared deeply about God's presence. If you get to Psalm, when David sins against God, he says, take not your spirit from me. Because of this promise of his presence, they cared deeply about his presence. And as such, sin is the expulsion of a people from the presence of God. You see this in Eden. They are thrust out because of sin. You see this in exile, the Babylonian exile. They are thrust out of the presence of God. As such, part of the law was to protect the integrity of God's presence among his people. For example, we read in Deuteronomy 13.5, these words. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so shall you purge the evil from your midst. One of the things that God was a stickler about is, man, you people need to make sure that you do not do or practice anything that would demand my presence be removed. And so in Deuteronomy, for example, it talks about false worship. In Deuteronomy, it talks about idolatry. In Deuteronomy, it talks about, and would say a message that would actually take the people away from God. And, and there were severe consequences with it. Again, not because God is mean. God has said, I've made a promise that my presence will always be with you. As such, here are the things you need to put in place to make sure you do not do or practice anything that would cause my spirit to depart. And any student of the Bible, you read Ezekiel and your heart breaks. Because what happens in the book of Ezekiel, you see the presence of God leave. So God was very serious about practices, about customs, about ways in which they would live that would cause them 
or cause him to retreat his presence. So Israel cared about God's presence. Not only did God promise his presence with them, God promised a place for them. And from the time of uh, the first promise to Abraham, the people of God longed to be in the place God had first promised to Abraham. And so famine had led them to Egypt. In Egypt, they became slaves. God delivered them, and now they're in the wilderness journeying towards the promised land. And not only did sin cause God's presence to retreat, sin also caused them to be expelled from wherever God promised for them. We saw that in Egypt. We see that in Babylonian exile. We see this many times. And so when you get to the law, part of the law was to, to protect the integrity of the place God had chosen. For example, there was this interesting uh, part I read in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 19. This is law concerning war, right? This is when you go out to war. Listen to what it says. It says, when you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees. Isn't that fascinating? It's like we're at war and says, whatever you do, don't destroy the trees. Like, that's the last thing I'm thinking about. Trees? By wielding an axe against them, you may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the field human? That they should be besieged by you. So again, as they're entering into the promised land, if they destroy the land, then that's kind of like not smart. Because this is the place God has given this is what he's created. This is the place for them to flourish. And so don't go on this rampage and just start like uh, Lord of the Rings, and just desolation, not Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit, the desolation of smog. Just shh. And so there was provisions in the law to protect the place that God had promised. And so some of the laws are just odd. A, a, a notion about when you build a house, put a parapet, put a covering, an awning there. And all this is put in place to protect the integrity of the place God has chosen. So his presence in his place, and then people, descendants. From the beginning, there was this commission to be fruitful and multiply. You see that with Abram and Sarai as they're unable to have a child, and God promises, I will give you descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. So shall your descendants be. As such, God was going to ensure the propagation of his people, be fruitful and multiply. As such, part of the law was to protect the posterity of his people. I mean, this is just fascinating. This, this is where I think a lot of the law just shines. Like, we got to do everything in our power to make sure we don't do anything to cut our lives short. So, for example, uh, if you are a newlywed in chapter 24, if you are a man and you are newly married, guess what you don't have to do? The law says you don't have to go to war. It says spend that year at home. And the rationale is because you're newlywed, you go out to war. If you don't come back, that, 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 that ceases that family line. And God made a promise to protect to, to, for the propagation of his people. This is where even the, the accusation, so if you read in, in Deuteronomy, it talks about a man, and it's kind of just, just you got to read between the lines to see what's going on. The Bible says man gets married to his wife. And it says on the day, and I might imply the night that he gets married, if he is displeased with her, he can then make an accusation that she was not a virgin. 
And then we got two options. Either she was or she wasn't. The Bible says if she was a virgin, guess what we do to that man? We take him out into the public and we beat him. How dare you shame this woman? Why? Why? Because number one, God was inscribing into this culture we got to protect women at all costs. You're not going to just take a woman, get rid of her, take a woman, get rid of her. So a lot of the law was to make sure that through husband, through wife, the, prop, the, the posterity, the continuation of the people of God. And so, so much is in there. And this is what we read this week, verse 11 of chapter 25, uh, rated R. When men fight with one another, and the wife of one draws near to rescue her husband. This is me and Luke are fighting. And Luke is just wailing on me. He is beating me up. He, how tall are you? He's 6'4 frame and is just beating me to a pulp. I look at the rest of downtown Hope and you guys are entertained by it. You pull out your phones and you're what? Luke is just, he's just, he's just beating him up. No worries. He says, when men fight with one another and the wife of the one draws near to rescue her husband. So Sandra to the rescue. From the hand of him who is beating him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the private parts. Then you shall cut off her hand. You shall have no pity. You read that, it's like, that's crazy. But if you understand that God promised his presence at his place with people, you know that that action ruins his opportunity to continue in the promise of God for posterity. And so God is literally putting things in place because of the promise he made way back in Abraham. Any act that stood in the way of the fulfillment of the God, of the covenant that God made with Israel was a no-no. Anything that in any way would stand in the way what God has promised is a no-no. We may think it's strange. We may think it odd, but Israel understood it. They understood that what we're being commissioned to do is as a result of his promise. And so unlike the nations whose idols have mouths but do not speak, Israel's God had spoken grace. He had given them a law that was perfect and righteous. You see, the law of God reveals with perfect clarity who he is. The law with perfect clarity reveals what sin is. And the law with perfect clarity reveals how sin may be removed. And so the law reflects the character of God and the character he intends to develop in us as his people. The law is not merely put in place to make us feel guilty. It's a reminder of God's promise. And, I, and this is where I just, this is the bread and butter of my faith. Jesus died and there are promises in scripture that I just cling to. They're just things that God has revealed that if everything else falls apart, my hope is not diminished because I serve a God that when he makes a promise, he fulfills it. And I dare ask, what are you holding on to this morning? Where does your hope lie? Thrust your hope into the God who makes promises. And so the proper response to the God we are in covenant with, God has established a love relationship with us through Jesus Christ. The proper response is what we see played out in what God has prescribed in Scripture. In fact, when you get to Deuteronomy, a radical shift takes place. 
The response to God from Genesis up to, Je- to Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a response of fear and awe. Respect the Lord. And so your, your, your motivation to obey was out of just, fe- just fear. You get to Deuteronomy and everything changes. Scripture teaches our response to God, Deuteronomy 6, is rooted in nothing but love. That we respond to God through love, and so we count it a joy that he would pave the way for us to respond in love. This is why Jesus says, I could take the entirety of the law and sum it up in two things. Love God, love your neighbor. So that same invitation, that love invitation is made open for us to enter into And so what does that mean for us in 2021? And so in part, this is hopefully begins to scratch at the surface what it means to understand love. So here's just some things to think through. I just want to leave these with you. One, we we have the same promise, right? God's people in his place, in the place he chooses, right? And what does Jesus say? He commissions us by saying, go, go therefore and make disciples. There it is, people. Be fruitful and multiply. So now the people of God and the kingdom of God isn't necessitated on biological birth. If we do the work of making disciples, guess what we're doing? We're going back to the garden. We're being fruitful and multiplying. And so the same promise is for us today. Go make disciples. Go fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply in the place that God has chosen. So where's the place? The pantata ethne, all nations. Go make disciples everywhere. And so again, we don't need to go and blot out people from the face of the earth. We share the truth of the gospel. We demonstrate love by loving God and loving our neighbor. And we do that everywhere. And we are guaranteed his presence. What does Jesus say? And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So a few thoughts as we close out. The law, it shows us, I think, today how inherent rebellion is to us. I think I'm learning more and more that just inherently, like we rebel. Like what I wanted to do, I didn't do it because I thought it wouldn't fit the artistic motif. I was just going to put a bunch of wet paint signs everywhere. Because what do we tend to do? We see that and we're like, that's wet, let me see. I think within us is just the desire to break rules. And so when we read Deuteronomy, we we assume that they think the way we thought. We assume that they would read a law about, we we think Israel was a land walking around with a bunch of women with no hands. That's what we think. We think, oh, they must have broke the law. But but again, that shows our rebellion. You read the law in, in prescribing Deuteronomy and you read the history of Israel, you don't see a lot of, you don't see any of the consequences prescribed because maybe them, unlike us, when they get a law, they say, got it. We got it. You're cutting hands off, not going there. (laughs) Rebellious son, I could be stoned. Father, I love you. In the 21st century, we put any type of uh, restriction on a kid. And what do we do? Kids just, we just rebel or they whine or they, I'm sorry, just (laughs) had a moment. But it's like we just, by nature, we want to just fight against the law. If we see, because, I mean, I'll just go, window into my heart. Speed limit, 70. So you know what's in my mind? I could probably go about four over. Police won't pull me over. Maybe five, maybe six. There's no police here. Who cares? I'm just going. 
And so with that frame, we enter the world of Scripture and just assume that sons were rebellious. That, that it's versus, man, when they got the law, they, they understood it. And the reason why it would help me see this, when I went to Ghana in January, it was like COVID was like, you know, COVID, right? And then people were like, how was COVID in Ghana when I came back? I was like, COVID? Here's the situation in Ghana. They said if you are not wearing a mask, they will publicly take you in the street, and the police had rights to just beat you publicly. Guess how many people violated that law? Zero. There's just a different posture in different parts of the world to rules. And I think just with us in the United States, I mean, God bless our country, but we kind of were birthed out of like, (laughs) see ya. (laughs) So it's just kind of like in us. We don't like rules. Uh, Secondly, the law demonstrates how bad sin really is. I don't know if we appreciate how bad sin is, but when you read that, uh, for example, uh, when you get in Deuteronomy, it talks about like sex and like if a man sleeps with her, he, he better marry her. If, 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 if a man or if a woman is caught in the act, you know, adultery, stone her. And in our minds, like what's wrong with sex? Deuteronomy tells you what's wrong with it. That sex is to be contained in a love relationship between husband and wife and anything outside of that is devastatingly bad in so much that here's what the law prescribes. Today we casually think through those things, Deuteronomy elevates the reality and demonstrates how bad sin is. We think, okay, rebelling against a parent, no big deal. No, read Deuteronomy, it's a very big deal. I think the law also demonstrates the social function of the law in the society we lived in, because God understood that certain practices weren't healthy for society, and so he would prohibit that. Two more things, and I'll shut her down. I think there is a spiritual reality to our lives that so few appreciate. And so when God talks about like witchcraft or when God talks about pagan rites or pagan rituals, God knows that you enter into that environment, you're done. I think today we kind of haphazardly think it's not a big deal. And lastly, I think one of the positives of the law is also it really looked out for the marginalized, the vulnerable, and the poor. It really did. And so Deuteronomy, hopefully it's not a bad book with a bunch of bad laws. It's a a book that articulates what life ought to look like. You see, growing up with parents from Ghana, uh, one of the challenges I had was this duality where I had to figure out how to live as an African in America. And then when I went to Ghana, I had to learn how to live. It It was just, you just live in this duality. Am I American? Am I Ghanaian? And just constantly this duality. So more and more as I grew up, I kind of just looked at Ghanaian culture like, man, what's wrong with them? Like I think I should this with you. Like Ghana, if you, if you ever go to Ghana, here's a free tip. Don't ever give or receive anything with your left hand. Bad. Bad. Now, I, in fact, I'll share this. She might watch. Sandra's mom was born left-handed. They beat that thing out of her. She writes with the right hand. Like, I hear that, I'm like, that's harsh. How dare you? What's wrong? I need to go there and show them how to live life, right? So there's this cultural gap. When I went to Ghana in January, I fell in love with Ghanaian culture. I absolutely fell in love. And everything just began to make sense. Oh, this is why. And so what if we have an invitation into the world of the scriptures. So even those things we may not understand, by entering into, we might have that, 
oh, this is what it means. So I want to invite us this week, just spend time in this world and, and don't bring your presuppositions of what life is like now and inject it into then. Say, God, just help me to see how much you loved your people in so much that you gave them a law. So here's what we're going to do. Deuteronomy is, is difficult. So there's a couple of folks we are going to get together, uh, write this down, this date, August 22nd. So after our gathering on August 22nd, we're just going to get like pizza, some food, and we're just going to have, just continue the conversation, the difficulties in Deuteronomy. And so if that's something you are interested in, see me after this gathering, we'll put stuff on our um, website, and we'll also have it in the bulletin. But yeah, we just want to continue this conversation on the difficult things in uh, Deuteronomy and just bring them out. Why, why does it say this? You know, why is that? That's kind of strange. And as we close this morning, I want to invite the worship team up. And I want to just, I want to read what we read earlier today, just as a prayer for us, as we consider and read Deuteronomy. Before we jump in and say it's harsh, it's wrong, it's mean, hear what Israel said. In Psalm 19, 7, 11, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the, testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them, there is great reward. And so let's bow our heads and pray. And as we pray this morning, just pray that God reframes our approach to the law. We are post the cross, and so we rejoice in that Christ fulfills the law in every way. He fulfilled the requirements of the law, and as such, we do not obtain righteousness from them. So my hope and my prayer is that as we reflect this morning, we would learn what it means to say the law of the Lord is good. And that in Christ, in fulfilling the law, we have the freedom to love him under order, under structure. But we could do so rooted in love. And may we, as we examine our lives this morning prior to taking communion, may we consider ways in which we might do things or practice things that might be troublesome for God's presence, for the work of making disciples in the world we live in. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you this morning. We say you're good. Your law is good. We are so grateful that in Christ it is fulfilled and that our relationship with you is now rooted in love. And as such, you compel us. Uh, to do right by you, not for righteousness' sake, uh, but for the sake of your name and because of the promises you made. I pray that I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.